Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Why does the military, or people who look like the military at least, so often turn up in areas of intense paranormal activity? Does this happen in all countries or just some? What are they trying to accomplish? Hello and welcome to the 620th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I am Ben, and those ominous questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. And this evening we bring you a guest who might help us answer some of those questions. Uh, As always, we welcome your calls. The numbers are 800-449-1240, that's from anywhere in the U.S. or Canada, and 401-766-1240, that's locally. Also, we will monitor emails, paul at behindtheparanormal.com for emails. And before introducing our guests, certainly a very happy new year from the Eno boys to everyone out there. Um, Yeah, that's right. I think it'll be a very interesting year if you're familiar with our work. We've been talking about 2016 for some time. Anyway, we'll see what happens. Yes. So our guest, Mac Maloney, grew up in Dorchester, a working class neighborhood of Boston, not all that far from where we now sit. I'll let Mac continue. Quote, I went to Catholic grammar school and got slapped around by the nuns. I went to Boston Technical for high school, though I'm not technically inclined and hated pretty much all of it. Once I got out, I never wanted to go to school again, but because of the draft in the Vietnam War, I enrolled in college, got a degree in journalism, and then a graduate degree in film. I always liked writing. Even as a little kid, I would send letters to Santa Claus, I mean, no, letters to publishers asking them to publish my book. Someone gave me a typewriter when I was in fourth grade, so I taught myself to type, and I would pretend to be an adult and pitch ideas to sci-fi editors. I had the bug early. I started writing full-time in the late 80s. My first series was Wingman, and that went 16 books. Other series I've done are Chopper Ops, Superhawks, and Starhawk, which is also known as Wingman in Space. A more recent one called The Pirate Hunters. I've also... Excuse me, I've also written books under the pen names Jack Shane, Bill Kellen, and Hunter Kennedy. But I'm probably best known for books written as Mac Maloney. It's more than 40 books in all. Mac, I hate you. It takes me five years to write a book. Anyway, Mac and Ben both graduated from Emerson College in Boston. That is true. So, Mac Maloney and fellow alum, welcome to Behind the Paranormal. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you. Okay, well, I should say welcome back. You've been on the oh, show a number back, of times. The oftener yeah. you're on, the more we like it. Yes. So, um, Ben, if you wanted, you can take this question. I didn't think you'd be here tonight. So. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Alrighty. So, um, so as you know, uh, my dad and I keep up are, are keeping into uh, running into the military, or perhaps military contractors, uh, when we investigate flap areas and regions with. Uh, intense but seemingly unrelated paranormal phenomena going on, so ghosts, UFOs, and cryptids, etc. Do you have any thoughts on why we may be running into the military here? Well, that's the $64,000 question. You know, um, it happens. It happens a lot. It's been happening for years. uh, But no one really quite knows uh, why it happens. I mean, we can theorize. So, um, you know, we all know that uh, a lot of people in the paranormal world believe that there are compartments of the Pentagon, of the U.S. military and intelligence services, uh, that are looking into various paranormal uh, events, uh, from UFOs right down to uh, different kind of hauntings and everything, and so on. And, that, and it's just you know highly classified. Um, few little paper trail um, having to do with these uh, investigations, if, if they are going on. Um, you know, the fact that they might be military contractors uh, makes uh, sense in this day of kind of uh, outsourcing 
Um, but um, once again, theory. Uh, we can only uh, just speculate that they're as interested in these things as we are. Okay. Now, Mac, uh, you one of the shows we've done was based on your book, uh, UFOs in the Military. Did you, in your research on this, and you know, all of us who write books come up with more material than we have room for in the book sometimes. Have you run into cases where, um, well, first of all, tell us about your, your knowledge of UFOs and the military in general on which you base the book. Well, it just, it was something that, that the idea for the book was something that came to me many, many years ago. And it just seemed like, because uh, I used to read a lot of UFO books when I was growing up as a kid. And, um, and my father was in the uh, Navy in World War II, so there was a lot of military books uh, around our house when I was growing up. So I'd be re- reading his military books sometimes and my UFO books sometimes, and I, I just at some point thought, you know, it just seems like people see more UFOs during wartime than during peacetime. And I never could figure out why. I, I thought, you know, especially in, in, in the 20th century, it, was it because, you know, with the... Um, with, with airplanes now being militarized and World War One and so on, were more people looking up, were more people flying around, so there's more opportunities to UFOs. UFOs, uh, you know, never really got to that answer. But, you know, we wound up doing a book on it. And it, it, I think we make a pretty good case that UFOs are seen more often during times of war than uh, than in peacetime. And uh, that's basically what the book is about. It It's just, you know, about... 250 pages of examples of people seeing UFOs uh, during war, World War II. Obviously, the the Foo Fighters, that's the one that everyone seems to uh, know the, the most about. But there are also many UFO sightings during the Korean War, during the Vietnam War, um, World War I, uh, and then in the times between the wars. There's this, I don't know exactly what it is, but there there is this connection and has been for a long time between military activity and UFO activity. Well, I have to say it's it's one of my favorite books, and I don't say that that lightly. You know, um, you. it's not just because you're such a great fellow, but you know, it's it's a really good book. Now, one of the things we notice a number of the areas we've been investigating over the last ten years, uh, from Litchfield County, Connecticut, through Rendlesham Forest and places like this in England, and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, the Rendlesham Forest case stands out, obviously, not because just because of the drama involved in ni- December 1980 when the military personnel from the U.S. Air Force happened to see uh, UFOs and landings and all sorts of things, depending on who you talk to. Uh, the issue was was that, that the the military didn't arrive to investigate it, but it, it like it arrived in the middle of the military, so to speak, because you had the two NATO air bases straddling this bizarre forest, which we found very strange. And uh, a number of the local people told us was full of a lot of other stuff besides this this UFO uh, incident that occurred in 1980. It always had been and probably always will be. So um, there, there, uh, there are two layers here. One seems to be that UFOs sometimes seem to be investigating the military, particularly where there are nuclear weapons or supposed to be nuclear weapons, and uh, cases that we run into where the military seems to be investigating the UFOs and the paranormal in general. Um, any thoughts on that? I mean, well, before you answer, our particular opinion, as you probably know, is that we would, of course, really love to weaponize the paranormal, and perhaps they're studying, uh, if we're correct in our theories, perhaps they're studying the the uh, areas of intersects 
between these parallel worlds, as in the multiple worlds interpretation, or something to do with the quantum hologram, something like that, uh, which explains why in Litchfield County, Connecticut, there are all this military activity in this intensely paranormal area within 100 miles of New York City, you know, rather than out in the middle of nowhere. So uh, what, what are your thoughts on that? Who's investigating whom or are both involved or what's going on? Well, you know, first thing that we all know is that if the U.S. military has a chance to weaponize anything, they will do it. Yeah. So, you know, we, we start from that, you know, starting point. Um, if there was a way to, I mean, you know, let's let's just, you know, throw anything out there. You know, suppose, well, look, look at how, how they've, you know, been able to uh, just uh, recently, uh, they, they're able to, you know, hide tanks. They're able to come up with camouflage where... Um, you know, they can make soldiers, you know, completely disappear. It has to do with, I don't know the, the physics of it, but I know it has to do with the light reflection and electromagnetics and stuff like that. But they can literally make things invisible uh, these days, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you know, in theory, ghosts are invisible. Um, I, I just think that it's, it's, once again, it's one of these situations where we know that there are deep, deep, departments, let's say, uh, the Pentagon and in the intelligence agencies that look into stuff that, that you know, we may never hear about. Um, uh, nine out of every ten secret projects uh, never come to fruition, never come to light. Sure. Uh, I think that they are just, and, and, and we also know that the uh, U.S. intelligence budget, uh, an annual budget, is just, you know, off the chart. It's, it's, it's you know, tens if not hundreds of billions of dollars. Uh, so they have to spend the money on something, right? Um, mm-hmm. I think they just look into everything. I think they look into everything, and, they, and if they think that it's something that uh, they can militarize, that they can use uh, as far as intelligence gathering, they're going to look into it in, in, in a way, you know, you think, well, it's our, tax, you know, it's our tax dollars. If they think they can make the country safer or whatever, um, then, you know, have at it. Yeah. Um, but who's doing it? And how these people manage to keep their mouths shut over all the years, uh, these years, uh, that to me is, is the real mystery. Because these, you know how things are these days, is that no one can keep their mouths shut. Even the people who were in on the bin Laden uh, assassination and the bin Laden mission, Team Team, team 6, these guys are supposed to be the most secret, uh, you know, operators uh, ever in history, military history. And, and, you know, they were out writing books three or four months later, so... No, Whoever is doing this stuff, they know how to keep their mouth shut. Well, when I was in the military in the seventies and eighties, it was it was like uh, they were just they were lear- they had already learned really that you couldn't really keep a secret anymore. And of course, as the internet proliferated in the eighties and nineties, this is exactly what you say began to occur. So um, there there was an emphasis on what became came to be known as disinformation. You know, the wrong information from the right sources, and the right information from the wrong sources, and keep everybody looking the other way. And that's how you kept secrets. Right. People, you know, but in World War II, people just kept their mouths shut. That changed. So uh, the, the issues um, th- that that brings up are interesting. One of them might be the men in black phenomenon. Now, we've had shows on that, particularly with Nick Redfern, who is one of the experts in that. And you can't help but notice that they do tend to turn up, whatever or whoever they may be, from time to time. And I'm thinking of the Mothman episode in the Ohio Valley in the 1960s, particularly, uh, that for those who don't know, uh, Mothman was was the media's name for a very strange uh, creature or person who 
appeared to fly um, in the air and chase people at up to 100 miles an hour. And uh, that was just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, when we spoke to witnesses down there in 03, there were people who were now grown up who were remembered as kids, red eyes looking through their windows or out from under their furniture, ghost phenomena, UFOs, all sorts of things that were taking place in this flap that became centered, at least by the media, on this Mothman thing. But one of the things that occurred, as you know, uh, Mac, was that, that these so-called men in black showed up, or at least people who might m meet the, the criteria for that designation. Some of them wore Air Force uniforms, and veterans recognized that they were wearing insignia in the wrong places or things were wrong, and they weren't entirely familiar sometimes with shaking hands, things as basic as that. You know, very, very odd and strange kinds of things. Uh, black Cadillacs coming and going. So, I mean, as far as uh, relationships between the military and the paranormal, um, what's your opinion on men in black? Have you run into that in your research, or do you think it's overblown, or what, is, it, is it the military? Is it something else? What do you think? Well, you know, it's hard to say because um, where it's not beyond any stretch of the imagination that, you know, when things uh, happen like what happened down in, in, in West Virginia during the Mothman uh, flap, uh, you know, I mean, of course the military is going to, you know, have someone go down there and see, you know, what's going on, have some kind of, you know, boots on the ground down there mm. uh, to look into it. And there's, there's, you know, many, many, many other instances, uh, especially UFO instances where these um, characters show up, um, it seems, you know, right after a, um, a, a you know, a, a very kind of public uh, UFO event. Uh, the unusual thing about Men in Black, though, is that, um, you know, first of all, we have to all agree that, they, that these guys are not very stylish, you know. <laughs> um, you know, people who have described them say that, you know, as you say, they they come in, they're very awkward, and even though they're dressed in black, the clothes don't fit them very well. They look like they're from some, you know, unnamed foreign country. Um, they don't have, uh, they, uh, they do have, like, trouble kind of communicating just on a, on a very kind of surface level. And it just seems to me that if, um, if if those characters that people are describing were part of the military, I'm thinking, you know, what military are they part of? Yeah. You would send in someone who, I mean, frankly, at the second book, the follow-up book, UFOs and Wartime, uh, that I did was called Beyond Area 51. And, and, and that was about places like Area 51 around the world. And all of them have this connection to kind of uh, UFO activity. And, and a friend of mine who actually works for... Uh, he, out, he he works for a company that works for U.S. intelligence agencies. He he's kind of a character in this book. He's looking over my shoulder as I'm uh, writing each chapter. And you know, and he said to me that you know, the thing is, is that the way that the military really works is, for instance, they wouldn't send three very unusual-looking people knocking on your door to try to persuade you not to talk about a UFO that you saw. They would send someone who is, you know, for want of a better word, a little more refined, a little more slicker, and 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 they would send someone, and, and it probably wouldn't be someone in the military, it'd be someone that the military has hired, like military contractors, to somehow persuade you um, on 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 an equal basis um, to, you know, keep your mouth shut because of you know national security or whatever. On the other hand, if you were someone who had this UFO event. And these three very, very strange-looking people show up at your door and ask you not to talk about UFOs. And if it's, like, really weird and really creepy, 
then you might be more inclined to go, you know, as inclined to go along with them, if you know what I mean. Mm. But he says the, the um, you know, the, the really, the, the way that they would really do it is, you know, they would, they would have someone approach you in, in such a way that, you know, they would be dressed normally, they would be able to speak to you normally, and so on. Their appearance wouldn't be anything out of the ordinary. So I guess that really doesn't answer the question, because we know that these unusual-looking people do show up from time to time, and they, they have, uh, you know, over the years. So it's just another part of the puzzle. Well, this does raise the issue, and I want to bring Ben on, uh, in on this, because he was witness to something I was, uh, the issue of whether this is the military or whether it's something else. Now, I'm thinking of the uh, another case that's not too far from you or us, because you live in Massachusetts, is the uh, Freetown State Forest oh, yes. or the Bridgewater Triangle. Yep. Now, you remember when we were there on that very strange day when we got the pictures of those little figures, or if that's what it is. That was pretty strange. And we were driving down the dirt road in the middle of nowhere, and there was that line of unmarked utility trucks with all those guys. Yeah, yeah, that was really weird. Did they strike you as military? I mean, they didn't strike me as such. No, they looked kind of confused, and they also looked very... They looked at us and were kind of like, what are these guys doing here? Yeah, they kind of watched us. We got a lot of them wearing sunglasses, like something right out of a movie. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's, it's as if... They didn't strike us as military, but yet they, they seemed that they didn't seem like something they didn't off. Belong, seemed like they didn't belong there. Exactly. So, so uh, I suppose there's really no way. Now, in the Litchfield flap, a uh, lot of military activity in 09 and 2010, and we, we did not witness any of that ourselves. However, we've talked to a number of people who have, and it's it's very well attested. So, a lot of people were reporting that these some of these people were in camo, but they were all armed. And they were in a lot of them were in black, complete with ski masks. Uh, to this day, there was a lot of black helicopter traffic re- being reported, uh, and and this is a very rural area uh, that where there were there are no bases, uh, at least what I can find out from the Connecticut National Guard. There's not they're not doing anything, so um, I guess that does raise the issue of who exactly is doing this and why. In other words, being present in these areas and investigating or whatever. Could it be private? And if so, what uh, private contractors are you aware of who would uh, would do that? And would they be doing so without authorization or industrial spying or research? I mean, I, as you say, Mac. I mean, it's really difficult to speculate because we don't, you can't put your finger on anything. Well, you know what's interesting is uh, again this uh, friend of mine who I've known since uh, you know uh, grade school, growing up in, in Dorchester, and. Uh, I guess he got slapped around by the nuns, too. I don't remember yeah, so saying I. <laughs> I got slapped around by the nuns, but um, I guess I did, yeah. because I did. But anyway, um, what was interesting uh, What's interesting about this guy is that uh, if you ran into him at, you know, in a bar or someplace like that, in a million years you would not guess what he did for a living. And, and, and a, you would not in a million years think that he was somebody who works with, with uh, U.S. intelligence. And... Um, and what was unusual was the the uh, marathon, uh, the Boston Marathon, a year later after the bombing. He sent me a photo out of the blue, and and I know some of the people that that he works with. He sent me a photo out of the blue, and it was like ten people. Uh, he was one of them, and they were just happened to be standing outside uh, Fenway Park. They're all kind of grouped together. They looked like. A bunch of friends who said, okay, let's get together and go to the Red Sox game and then walk over and see the marathon, which is what people do on that day. Um, 
they were they were they were undercover people in the crowd. You know, uh, there to spot trouble. In a million years, you would not have known that, and I wouldn't have known it unless I knew him and I knew some of the people he worked with. Um, they blend in. I mean, you, yeah. The, the CIA is is the complete opposite of what James Bond is. The CIA oh, actually yes. goes out and 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 recruits ordinary looking people. Mm-hmm. You, you know, they and and when I and I have been to this place where this my friend works. And um, and you walk around, and and this is going to sound uh, this is going to sound awful, but there's no like um, attractive women working there uh, that I ever saw. <laughs> um, they're all kind of I know I'm going to get in trouble for saying that, but they're all kind of like middle-aged people who look like librarians and stuff. And there and a lot of people who work at this uh, company are ex-CIA. Um, that's how the CIA does it. They, they, these people blend in. So we get back to this whole idea of, well, you know, I mean, when you go and you see people who are kind of in a place of where paranormal activity might be uh, reported and, and they look out of place, then you have to say, well, who are these people? Because we know the intelligence services, at the very least, are very adept at blending in. So who are these people who are not blending in? Yeah, no, good, good point. The um, the issue of um, the black helicopters, we can go back to that and what you might know about that. I've had reports from people, particularly out west, and often associated with the cattle mutilation thing. We've done a show on that. Uh, I hope you weren't eating dinner when we were broadcasting that one. But um, there are times when these helicopters are seen, but there is no sound. Uh, at least according mm-hmm. to reports, uh, people have reported not a lot, but often seeing the UFOs turn into helicopters and vice versa. And I don't know if, you know, I don't know how likely that is, but people have said they've seen that. What is the black helicopter thing all about? And do you think it's connected with the military, at least in all cases? Well, uh, first of all, we do know that they have silent helicopters because the helicopters that went into the Bin Laden compound were silent helicopters. Sure. Um, they were um, black helicopters that had been highly adapted, and they were silent. Uh, so they do it. They do exist. Um, helicopters turning into UFOs, uh, not really out of um, uh, not really out of the um, the realm of possibility these days, because uh, we know that um, there's a lot of um, uh, experimentation going on uh, to hide airplanes in flight during the day. Um, Chris O'Brien, who is someone who's written extensively about the thing. Louis Valley in Colorado has written a number of books mm-hmm. uh, about it. You know, he has lots of reports of people seeing uh, airplanes, one kind of airplane transform into another. Um, the, the, the strange thing about black helicopters is that um, almost all black helicopters having to do with the, you know, that belong to the military are black these days because that's the, um, that's the camouflage that, you know, most of the, uh, uh, Army, heli- Army aviation uses these days. Back in the 60s when they're in Vietnam, they'd be green, but mm-hmm. now they just happen to be black. The strange thing is, is that when I was writing uh, UFOs in wartime, this is a few years ago now, I was writing one day, and it, it's going to sound crazy, but a black helicopter actually circled my house <laughs> for about five minutes. Yeah. Um, and I'm thinking, you know, what are they thinking of little old me for? You know, um, what it, what it, why, who, it, who, what, who, I don't know. 
you know, I live in Newport, as you know, and it's a it's a tourist place. And someone said, oh, maybe they maybe there was just a private helicopter in there taking film for you know some kind of a tourist ad or something like that. Mm-hmm. But um, and turn you into uh, a tourist attraction, Mac. Uh, well, you know, I'll tell you if 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 I'm on the list to you know fly a helicopter up and and and, and um, you know circle my house, then. Uh, uh, they must be running out of people. Too. <laughs> well, uh, it's true. Uh, I, I'm thinking also of hologram technology. You know, as well. Hologram you can, you, technology is, hu- is, is, is huge. You can project, hologram and people may be seeing this, huge. and it's really not there. Right. Yeah. yeah exactly. Exactly. Ben, I'm thinking too of um, you. You were. You really can't be said to be a witness to the Boston bombing, but you were there that day, and you missed it by about four minutes. And yes, one of one of your classmates at Emerson um, had a helicopter circling his house. I, I know you don't want to get the details, but no. it was very interesting. Uh, no, 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 no. He was he was brought in for questioning by Homeland Security. Oh, I thought there was a helicopter involved. No. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, misunderstood. No, no, no. Right. He was just brought in for questioning by Homeland Security. Okay. Well, that's bad enough. All right. So um, I'm thinking, too, uh, Mac, of um, the, the notion of underground bases. Now, this we're going to take our break in a minute, but just to, to introduce the question, uh, in the the flap in central Connecticut, there is an abandoned farm that would, that we are convinced has some sort of activity going on. Uh, aerial photographs showed evidence of excavation, things of this kind. And it's, uh, there is, looks like ventilation and all this kind of stuff. And that was where the military activity seemed to be centered, uh, some years ago, a few years ago. Uh, I'm also thinking of, um, uh, other areas, where, uh, such as North Carolina, where Mary Joyce, um, a very articulate guest and uh, very intelligent person, believes there are underground bases. And I wanted to ask what you uh, what you thought about that issue. But I think we're going to take our break first uh, before we, we get into that question. So you are listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Van Eno on WOON 1240 in New England's beautiful but chilly it's finally January here in the Blackstone Valley we'll be right back everything you know is wrong hi I'm Ben Eno and I'm Paul Eno check out our show Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno here on ON 1240 AM on Mondays on our new drive time slot at 6 p.m. the paranormal is not what you think it is you're going to examine the whole thing from a whole new perspective on our show and we expect that you're going to be very surprised do not check your brain at the door you're going to need it be there Okay, and we're going to tell you about a number of the charities we have adopted toward the end of the show in our announcement section. But right now, we're going to get back to Mac Maloney, uh, our guest, uh, speaking about the military and uh, all sorts of interesting connections they may or may not have with the paranormal. And uh, Mac, I'm going to give you a chance before we burn up this hour to talk about your books, uh, where people can find out more, where they can get them, websites, etc. Uh, well, the easiest thing to do is just to go on uh, Amazon and type in Mac Maloney, and you'll see um, I've done two nonfiction books, uh, UFOs in Wartime and um, Beyond Area 51, and then I've done a whole bunch of uh, military uh, fiction books. Um, that's really the best place to just go on Amazon, type in Mac Maloney, and you'll see all of the, uh, all of the product, as they say. Very good. Okay, and, and before we get into our question about the underground bases, we have a question from a listener, which uh, has apparently nothing whatsoever to do with the paranormal, but he's apparently a fan of your books. Uh, this is from Peter. I don't know where Peter's from. Uh, Mac, what is your creative process to create a new fiction novel? 
Uh, what are your first three steps? Walk us through some examples where your ideas come from. Um, number one, travel to a state where marijuana is legal. <laughs> uh, number two, no, only kidding, only kidding. No, you're not. No. Um, no, <laughs> you know me too well. Paul. <laughs> um, no, it's um, you know it's it's kind of funny because um, you know, and this is really kind of inside stuff, but um, you know when you when you sign a contract, uh, or at least the contract I've signed. Um, when you you never sign a contract with just one book, it's always like either three or four. So you always have to have three or four ideas to go in and pitch, um, you know, at the beginning. So if and if and if the publisher goes along with it, then you know they they obviously like the the, the first idea, and you write the book about that. And then when it's time to write the second idea, you already have it. You know, you you don't have to go through that creative process. Uh, you in, in in fact it's it's funny because I find myself kind of as I'm writing one book I kind of I find myself kind of thinking about you know the next book um, you know the next one down the line so it, it it's never like this idea that um, you know you sit down with a clean you know yellow legal pad and just start you know writing stuff out it it, it you already have the germ of the idea um, in your head so it's it's not as glamorous as as uh, people think it is. But then on the other hand, you know, sometimes, um, you know, you're just kind of driving around or you're doing something that um, uh, has nothing to do with writing and, and an idea pops into your head. And, um, and and the next thing you know, next thing you know, you, you're writing a book and a year later the book, book comes out. There's no one really firm way of, of it happening, um, you know, with me. Um, I have an office that is just filled with Post-it notes with, words scribbled on them, um, you know, book, uh, book ideas or whatever. And, and, you know, some of them, you know, happen and, and some of them don't, but it's no one set way of doing it, at least with me. I'm very disorganized anyway. Um, <laughs> but, um, um, you know, I, again, it, it, it's no one set way. It's just, it comes from many different directions. Okay. All right. Well, thank you for answering that. Okay. So back to our subject about, uh, the, the underground bases here. Um, now, some of the underground base stories are farther out than others, and, and others, I mean, there are underground bases here and there. I mean, that's well known. So what's your opinion generally on the, the garden variety underground base that may or may not be connected with UFOs? Well, you know, I have to say that um, uh, uh, the as far as uh, the situation in North Carolina where Mary Joyce has talked um, extensively about what you know, people have seen down there and so on. Mm-hmm. And and I, I, I kind of know her because, as you know, I also have a radio show and um, not as illustrious as this one, but, you know, <laughs> a small radio show, and we've talked to her a couple times, and I really like her. She, uh, we, but, we like uh, her, too. Uh, the thing is, is and, and, and I really don't want to be the guy who throws a bucket of ice water on what's going on down in North Carolina, but what is going on down in North Carolina is... Um, uh, an enormous part of North Carolina is actually a place where the military goes and trains mm-hmm. uh, in the woods. Uh, it, it, the code name is called Pineland, and if you can, the, w- the way that I can best describe it is, uh, if you remember in, um, in, in in the movie Top Gun, and and presently right now in Fallon, Nevada, they have um, the real Top Gun, and what it is is it's American fighter pilots, Navy fighter pilots, and, and they go and they dogfight against other Navy pilots who are dressed up as Russians 
in Russian type of airplanes and, and so on. They're called the aggressor squadron. Um, well, what's going on in North Carolina is is that they send um, U.S. troops and their Army troops uh, into this huge, it's a, it's a vast, vast um, piece of the North Carolina uh, forest uh, to train against other Army troops who are dressed in, uh, you know, ag- let's say aggressive, aggressor uniforms. They are playing the part of the bad guys. And they have these uh, really elaborate um, uh, military exercises there. And people see a lot of military activity. They see a lot of helicopters and airplanes and army trucks going back and forth and so on and so forth. And they're wondering what's going on. Uh, Well, again, I don't want to be the bucket of ice water, but what's going on is it's just a huge training facility. Well, actually, I, I mentioned that to Mary as well. I mean, because the real NATO troops, uh, certainly Canadians, uh, you'll find them in the Southwest, Germans, French, uh, all training together, you know, in the unified force concept, which was just coming in when I was in. So uh, that's not uh, anything to be concerned about. And uh, one of the things, stories come out of North Carolina where German troops or whoever, Russian right. troops running around, and well, what you say is absolutely correct. So that that's the thing. But to underground bases uh, or not, there is the allegation that the U.S. Uh, military is working with aliens, not just studying them. And I don't know what I think about that because I don't know enough about it, but uh, that, that story has been around forever. Um, what say you? Yeah, I'm, I, again, I'm, I'm real conservative when it comes to this stuff. I, I, don't, I don't believe that because it's just, for me, it's just like two way out and I think that there's been so many of those types of stories around for so long. I mean, Delphi Mountain is, is the is yeah the in New Mexico example yeah. of that. Yeah. Um, that that and it, it is just like so you know out there that someone I don't care who they are, someone would have spoken, someone would have come out and 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 kind of blown the whistle um, on such a thing as such a thing was going on. Um, I, I I even have stories like that in uh, the UFOs in wartime because when we're putting the book together, we you know you there's I think 150 different little stories in there, and there was there's 10 of them in there that are just so good we could not put them in, and and you know one of them is about what is going on out there at Delta Mountain and Kirtland Air Force Base and so on, but it see to me it's just. It's just, first of all, it's just a little too weird that the U.S. government would be actually in contact with uh, aliens or UFO people who are being to fly UFOs. And number two is that what you always hear, too, is that the U.S. military has these crash UFOs hidden away somewhere and that we are reverse engineering them and, and that this has been going on since the 50s. And so my question is, is well, where's the result of reverse UFO engineering? Where is... You know, if, if we had a UFO and we were able to reverse engineer it, then why are we spending billions and billions of dollars on, you know, like, uh, you know, rockets to, just to put a tin can into orbit? Um, <laughs> sure. You know, why yeah. aren't we flying around in anti-grav, uh, you know, machines? Well, some people so would say maybe we that. are. I mean, well, as, as, as you know, and maybe Ben, ben would have has, has a thought on this, but as you know, um, the technology that we have is like, generally 10 to 15 years ahead of what people actually know about. Mm-hmm. So, so, I mean, right. anything is possible. Yeah. Uh, if you yeah. Do you believe the Philip Corso story? 
uh, day after yeah. Roswell kind of thing that he his job yeah. as a colonel in the uh, I believe he was in the Air Force was to seed uh, the the Roswell technology or the so-called Roswell technology into American industry. Well, you know, well, when, when, when you do the Velcro on your shoe, I mean, supposedly that's that's, that's part of it. I think I think tin foil was the other thing too. Oh, was that what it was? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it was well, Velcro the, and tin foil. That's all they can give us: tin foil and Velcro. Really? I mean, <laughs> well, hey, what do you know, want for nothing? Well, you know what? What I want is I want my own like rocket pack or something. Yeah, sure, know? exactly. Um, well, you know, these... I, want, I want to be able to snap my fingers and go to Mars or something. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, well, these these are all questions. Um, I don't know. One thing I found in the paranormal Mac, and I'm sure Ben agrees, is that nothing is what it appears to be. And certainly, very often in the military, and you get into the intelligence realms, nothing is what it appears to be either. So, as you said, you know, who really knows? We, we, we don't. Um, so, I, I wanted to ask you, too, about the, um, uh, if I can read my own writing here, the, uh, the issue of, of other countries. Um, how much coordination is there in researching UFOs or, or researching the paranormal or doing any of these things? Uh, to me, there doesn't seem to be an awful lot of coordination, except perhaps between the U.S. and the U.K., uh, maybe the European allies. I mean, I mean, but, but that outcomes Brazil with some UFO photographs its military took supposedly, and uh, supposedly again the U.S. got all upset. I mean, what you know, what's going on with that international well, you know, coordination of this whole thing? Whatever All right. it may be. This is this is one thing that I, I also kinda look at and, and it, it kinda goes against my you know, uh conservatism when it comes to this kind of stuff. Is is that only the United States, you know, holds these things really, really, really tight. You know, the, the British, uh, to their credit, you know, have they have really they had someone working, you know, on UFO reports, someone who works for the their uh, Ministry of Defense and, and they released a lot of files there a few years ago mm-hmm. uh, on UFO sightings, and, and, and they were very candid, saying, you know, there's a lot of these things we can't explain. The, the French, I think, also have, you know, some kind of a, a unit that is just constantly looking into to UFOs, uh, you know, uh, reports and events. Um, um, but but and so they're, they're kind of open about it. They're kind of, you know, it's not like they're... They're hiding anything, but when you get—it's only when you get to the U.S. where it's like, boom, no, zero. We don't do anything, uh, you know, uh, having to do with UFOs. We stopped that in 1969 when we closed down Project Blue Book, and and that's it. And it's almost like the the, the denial is just, you know, so extreme it, it, that it, it's almost like, well, you must be hiding something if you don't say one word about it. Yeah. What's the difference between the British and, and the French and us? Well, um, well what is the difference? As, I mean, why why well, would well, we be well, so? I, I, I think that we might know. I don't think the U.S. military knows what UFOs are. I don't think they know what they are. I don't think they know where they come from or anything along the origins of them. But I believe that they know more about UFOs than, you know, let's say, the typical uh, man on the street. I think they have more evidence. Well, we know they have more evidence. We know that they have films. We know that they have, um, you know, radar tracking and, and, and tons and tons and tons of evidence. Uh, Gordon Cooper, the astronaut. You know, his, he, he had a photography team at Edwards Air Force Base in the early 50s that actually filmed a UFO landing at Edwards Air Force Base and taking off again. He saw the film, he saw the stills from the movie film, sent it to the Pentagon, never heard a word about it again. So we know that they have evidence, more evidence than they would ever let.
let on. But I don't believe that they know what these things are. As far as coordination, um, there's a thing in the intelligence services, and I only know this from my friend who I keep bringing up. Um, It's called you go white bread. And what that means is that when something big happens, the United States gets in touch with and, and shares information with Australia, Canada, Germany, and England. Okay. Um, so if there was any kind of coordination, it, you know, from the start, it would be with those countries. Right. Um, yeah, but you're right about Brazil and Mexico. I mean, you know, they have tons of evidence and tons of photographs and everything, and they're just very open about it. They don't seem to need the secrecy that, that the U.S. military is just so um, uh, dramatic about. Well, we, we've gone round and round with this about on the air with Steve Bassett, who was one of the leaders of the because of the Paradigm Research Group and the the uh, civilian hearings on UFOs, uh, and the the disclosure movement as it's called. And we've asked him, uh, what if there's really nothing to disclose? What if, as you say, Mac, the government really doesn't know what these things are? And I have a certain sympathy for that point of view. And Steve, uh, love him dearly, but he just will go go on that he doesn't care. Uh, what we think, and that he right. wants to hear, he's convinced the government knows as much as they can know and wants to know about it. And I said, well, well so, I suppose you're right. What if the truth is so horrible uh, that that's what they're afraid of revealing? Oh, yeah, I remember that. I, I remember his response because I thought it was hilarious. He was like, well, I don't care. Was no, basically, yeah. Essentially, that was it, was his response. He was like, I don't care. Because he's like, he's like, if there was a tsunami coming, wouldn't you want to know about it? And I was like, well, I don't think that's, I don't think you compare, can, can compare those two things, because if intergalactic warfare is, is 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 on, if we're on the brink of that or something like that, I think that's very different compared to a tsunami. Yeah, exactly. So I just, you know, I, I, but I, I often wonder if if you're not correct and that there really is no answer to uh, many of. Steve's questions or, or the, those questions asked by others. I mean, what do you think? Of, what do you say on that? Well, you know, one thing about Steve is that you 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 need people like him to be out there banging the drum. Oh yeah, no, very day. important okay, work. No doubt about it. Yeah, and 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 he's the right guy to do it. You know, because he is so committed to it. Very much um, so. You know that he. he I think it it, it 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 takes up his life twenty three hours a day. Sure. Um, I think when they asked the first question there a few years ago. I think that they, I forget the wording of the question, but I thought that the wording was wrong. They should have just said, you know, has the, the United States government, does it have any evidence of beings from anywhere else? Mm-hmm. Anywhere else. Okay. They, they really kind of get the wording down to, um, you know, beings from outer space or whatever. We don't know if, if, if UFOs exist. I, UFOs do exist. We just don't know what they are. Right. But if there are beings in them, we're just assuming that they're from little green men from Mars, okay? Mm-hmm. They could very well be from another dimension, another time. My personal opinion is, and you and I have talked about this before, is that they're, that they're time travelers. They're, they're time tourists. They've, that somewhere in our future, they've created time machines, and, and these time machines come back, and, and you know, they, they show up at all these historic events, and, and you know, war being, being one of them. Um, I think that they... So if, if someone was really going to answer the first disclosure question, you know, truthfully, and it said, do we have any evidence of, you know, uh, being some out of space coming to Earth, they could say uh, no. Uh, but if someone said, 
do we have any evidence of being from someplace being in contact with the U.S. government from someplace other than Earth? They might answer the the question differently. Um, yeah, no, but, I hear I, but I'm going to fall back to my original position. I think the U.S. government knows a lot about UFOs. I think they have a lot of evidence about UFOs, but I don't think they know what they are. Okay, no, that's a perfectly reasonable point of view. This leads, of course, into the notion of the exopolitics movement and what we're always complaining about on the show, which has been assumptions, right? Yes, yes. And I also think it's unfair to put human characteristics and traits upon non-human creatures. Right, wherever they may come from or whenever they may come from, that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, we assume in the, in the exopolitics movement is, uh, you know, well-conceived, I suppose, from its own point of view. But it's a narrow point of view that says that these beings or whatever, or whatever they may be would want to deal with us as equals. I well, think that is one heck of an assumption. I think it's just interesting that there are two two sides that are like like diamet diametrically. No, they're like dy- very dynamically opposed to each other. On one side, you have the people who think that the that that any extraterrestrial creature is automatically benevolent and wants to help us and or take us away from the planet. Or you have the complete opposite side, which says they are awful. We must stay away from them. They're here to kill us. But I think it's. I think it, there has to be a middle ground there where it's like, well, we don't really know if we do happen to have an, an exopolitics kind of thing going on. I mean, I guess that's the thing. We have to play politics on an entirely different. Well, I guess for lack of better words, a, a, a different dimension of politics. Well, or they could look at us as a ants on an ant. I mean, who knows? Or that, yeah. I mean, <laughs> many different races, many different variety, many different. I mean, who knows? That's the thing. So, Mac, I was going to ask you too about um, the um, the notion of um, other areas of the paranormal. The military has demonstrated interest, and I'm thinking way back to things like Project Stargate. And, you know, with the um, testing of psychics to do remote viewing and to sort of in a way. So that was an example of almost weaponizing the paranormal, uh, you know, detonating explosives at long distance with the power of the mind. And that dates back really late 60s, 70s and, and into the 80s. And I believe it ended in the early 90s. And or at least they said it did. I may have my dates wrong. But um, that's another aspect. Can you comment on that? topic we have a lot on on our show. Um, Steve Hammonds comes on frequently and talks about this. Um, There's a perfect example of the military, as you say, jumping on something uh, that we would consider paranormal and and weaponizing it. And and I don't believe uh, that this program ended. I think that they I don't think it did either. That it ended. Because it was, you know, there was a lot of success, uh, you know, connected with it. And what I thought was very cool about that is that um, and it's just something that makes sense from the military point of view, is they would take these people, these psychics, and they wouldn't say to them, um, can you tell us if there's a Russian nuclear submarine within 100 miles of Hawaii right now? Or can you tell us, uh, you know, is there a secret, you know, Russian air base up in Siberia? What they would do is they would just have them confirm intelligence that they had already gathered from, like, satellites or human intelligence or something like that. Mm-hmm. So they would already know that there's a Russian nuclear submarine within, you know, uh, 50 miles of Pearl Harbor on a certain day and time. They would go to the psychics and they'd say, you know, do you see this? And, and a lot of times the psychic people would confirm 
previously gathered intelligence. And, and to me, that really tells me that it, that it works, that, that people aren't just guessing and that, you know, that, you know you, you're going to throw a pile of spaghetti against the wall, some of the noodles are going to stick. This is, this is something that you're, you're confirming the intelligence that you already have. That shows me that that was a program that worked. I think we know a pinprick about what that whole thing was really about. And plus, we know the Russians had a similar uh, you know, program. Exactly. Sure they didn't shut it down. Yeah, no, Stargate was supposedly a response to that. And, and there were other projects as well. Because the Soviets right. and, really, and, 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 from what I understand, yes. really made it work. And it, it just happened that we it got caught up in, uh, you know, the CIA when they were uh, getting in trouble for, you know, assassinating people and stuff like that. And, and, and they came out publicly and said, okay, this is one of the things that, you know, we've done away with. I don't believe for a minute that they did away with something. If, if you were a military commander and in military intelligence and you had a way to confirm previously, you know, gathered intelligence because the, the, the first, you know, the first uh, – the first report of an intelligence is never, you know, that, that it's never one hundred percent correct. But if you have a way to confirm it, one, two, three different ways to confirm it, and it works, you're not going to dissolve that. You're not going to, you're not going to lose that. You're just going to be secret about it. And, that, and that's that's the perfect example of the military taking something, as I said, you know, that we would consider paranormal and weaponizing it. So you can imagine what else they're up to that we have never heard. Well, that brings uh, into a, a topic we might have a little bit of time to discuss, not much. The uh, notion of the, the public behavior modification, for lack of a better term. Now, I never believed this until I got into the we, until we got into this Litchfield County, Connecticut case, and began to see, have reports of public behavior changing on mass beyond statistical probability and this sort of thing, and we're still. Looking into that, but uh, it involved driving habits, uh, suicides, things of this kind. Uh, to me, that's a little out there, but I mean, it's a, it's a possibility that has to be considered. Uh, are you aware of any examples from the past of attempts to control public behavior in any way by using electro pollution? You know, not, not going to say weaponizing it, but uh, controlling. Um, Things of that kind that are still being studied, at least by the civilian community, as far as um, effects on the human mind by microwaves, things of this kind. Well, uh, this Sunday I saw 50 people do something completely uh, off the charts, and that's the Patriots losing to the Miami Dolphins. Oh, tell us about it. It looks like some kind of, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, electro-pollution to me. Too many but, injuries. Um, I mean, think, think about that for a second think about how broad a, a program that would have to be yeah really and, and 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 how dangerous that would be you know you'd almost like to think that if they had some kind of power like that that someone somewhere along the line some rational thinking person who just happens to work for the pentagon might say you know what uh, we might want to put the kibosh on something like this because if something like this gets out can you imagine something like that in the hands of uh, you know someone who uh, you know, is like actually crazy enough to do something evil with it. You know, a yeah. Monday Hitler or something. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, maybe there's who knows. You know, once again, you know, nine out of ten secret programs never, uh, never come to light. Nine out of ten secret, um, top secret airplanes uh, I, I never fly again. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the things that they, that they, you know, gather from like plane number two might wind up in plane number eight and then wind up in the stealth bomber or something, but. 
you know, a lot of the stuff that they work on doesn't work out. Okay. Um, so, like I say, who you know, who knows what they're what they could be into that we will never know. That we will ne- that we'll never know. Well, but I, I really hate to think that they have something like you know, uh, some kind of a mass consciousness shifting thing. Uh, yeah, I don't want to think about it either. That's scary. All right. Okay. Any, any final comments here, Ben? Uh, no, because we only have about five minutes. Okay. Well, Mac, just very quickly, if you could tell us about your radio show. Well, we are. It's called Mac Malone's Military X Files Show, and um, we're on a, a number of networks. Um, um, the network that we're really proud to be on is that we're associated with the Military Appreciation Channel, mm-hmm. uh, which provides um, um, programming to the Armed Forces Radio Network. Um, we do the show every week. It's best probably just to kind of Google it and see, you know, what 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 uh, network is easy just for you to you know hook up with. Um, but it's it's um, it just talks about everything having to do with the, it, what we've been talking about, how the military is involved in the paranormal, a lot of UFO stuff. But we actually go back to you know strange uh, stories about you know back in the old west and civil war and so on, and we get into conspiracies and and uh, things along that line. So it's where the paranormal and the military intersect. That's what we like to talk about. Excellent. It is great. I've heard it. Mac, thanks for a great conversation. We covered a lot. We'll we'll be talking to you soon. Okay, great. Thanks a lot, guys. I appreciate you having me on. Okay. It's always a pleasure. Okay, we'll get to our announcements then. We're rapidly booking for our 2016 public appearances uh, so far. The first one will be on Saturday, February 13th, the Book Lovers and Local Authors Expo at, uh, right here in our area, the Cumberland Public Library, Cumberland, Rhode Island. Uh, there will be no presentation there, but you'll be able to meet and greet, and there'll be books for sale. And the event probably will involve just me, though Ben will come along probably if he can. Uh, he won't be a local author in his own right until Cosmic Journey comes out uh, next year, I guess. Um, there we go. Cool. So you can find out more about the show, our public appearances, and more at BehindTheParanormal.com, uh, where we recently learned it is rated one of the top websites in the world for visits and use, and that's in the top million and a half out of about 544 million sites on the planet. So that is at our site. You can find um, over 500 or 650 free podcasts, excuse me, of past shows from both ON 1240 and our four-and-a-half-year run on CBS Radio, along with special shows and podcasts. Uh, you can find my books, as well as Max, on Amazon.com, Amazon Kindle, Barnes & Noble Look, etc. Uh, but if you buy them directly at BehindTheParanormal.com online, I'll be happy to sign them for you, and you will help us keep all those recorded shows free. Also on our websites, you'll find direct links to several charities that Ben and I have adopted, I mentioned before, including USA Cares, Builders Helping Heroes, and Canadian Veterans Advocacy. Also, Youth Mentoring Connection uh, in Los Angeles, doing great things out there for at-risk youth, youthmentoring.org. And we're also going to be putting up some information about Help for Haiti, uh, a great organization whose people who run it are known to me they're they're friends of mine and they're doing fantastic work and the money gets to the people in haiti we're still recovering from that awful earthquake uh and two recent books of interest to our listeners you can find uh, them on our um uh, behind the paranormal site the bell witch project ufo repeaters both with local connections here in northern rhode island with our good friend joe ferrier and uh, certainly a new book that has a contribute some contributions by me uh timothy green Beck- beckley's super i should say spooky treasure troves okay uh ufos ghosts cursed pieces of aid and the paranormal and i only contributed a few paragraphs on why things can be quote-unquote haunted 
and why extraterrestrials might conceivably be interested in gold. I mean, wouldn't you be? Uh, but I got my name on the cover anyway. And all three books are available on Amazon.com uh, or use the links at the online bookstore at our show website, BehindTheParanormal.com. So next Monday, January 11th, we'll take a look at legends, ancient and modern, of giants with researcher uh, Jason Jarrell. Jarrell, yeah, no, that's that's definitely going to be an interesting show. I feel we like have, we've, we have, we've never touched that. We have never done a show on that subject. You know, we first started this show, what was it, almost going on nine years ago? Yes. I said, we're going to run out of stuff to talk <laughs> about. And that has never happened, hasn't happened yet. No, no, not at all, but giants... Hmm. Giants, yeah, giants in the earth. They're the biblical giants, giants uh, supposedly one dug up in Fall River, Massachusetts, near here, and uh, all kinds of things we're going to talk about. Jason's go really good uh, when it comes to that. So we leave you this evening with a thought from the great Chinese poet and philosopher Lao Tzu, often pronounced Lao Tzu in incorrectly. Life is a series of natural and spontaneous changes. Don't resist them. That only creates sorrow. Let reality be reality. Let things flow naturally forward in whatever way they like. I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno, and thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we shall see you next time. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.